Okay, she's back. This week's episode is with Paulina Pinsky. She's 15 months sober. She's freaking awesome. And uh, we have a great conversation about, I don't even know what, it was like a stream of consciousness conversation with her. We talked about the artist way, obviously. She's doing another workshop June to August for, for Artist Way, and we will sponsor a scholarship. She's also doing a program called Writing the Body. Uh, she's doing that in May, and we're going to sponsor a scholarship for that, too. You can go to paulinapensky.com and um, apply for the scholarship or sign up for one of her um, um, workshops. She worked with Kelly Brown, who's another guest of mine, and uh, Kelly wrote a book after working with um, Paulina, which was amazing. So I'm going to get the two of them together for a podcast episode sometime soon. But I love Paulina. I'm so proud of her for all of her growth and that she's growing kind of publicly, I think is really inspiring. So check out her website and uh, she's just adorable and amazing and I love her. So I'm so glad we had this conversation. I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you so much for everybody who emails. Thank you uh, for going to birdieboyproductions.com, hitting wife of the party and sending me an email more of that, please. I love hearing from you guys. I don't get to respond to everybody, but I love to hear your feedback. So I hope you enjoy this episode with me and Paulina Pinsky. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. With me? Yes. Um, well, yeah. I'm 15 months sober. Pretty crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Great. So proud, right? Yeah. It's like, it's so proud. It's like this weird thing where I like got the year and it almost felt like a door slammed. It was like, I got the year. This like quantity of time is done. And so there was kind of a weird kind of like, now this is just what I do. You know, I'm not counting days in the same way, even though I still like I'm 462 days sober today. Like I still count days because right. I think every day counts and yeah. I need to remind myself yeah. that like what I've what I've, you know, accrued and also that like it matters, you mm-hmm. know, um, but there was definitely like a weird 12 to 15 month straddle of just like I'm I couldn't quite figure out how to sort of think about it. And now it's like, I think about it in terms of months. Like I'm still a toddler. I'm still wearing baby clothes, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it's definitely easier, you know? Um, like it's just kind of like, it astounds me that I haven't like going from not being able to go a whole day without smoking weed to like, I have no interest, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm actually, I got invited to speak in DC on 420, with an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. And I'm going to be on a panel with my dad and former uh, Senator Patrick Kennedy. Nice. And I'll be uh, talking about my experience with marijuana addiction and recovery. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm literally like getting flown out on 419 and then speaking on 420, which is so funny to me. Why is that funny? I don't know. It's just like I'm spending 420 
in D.C. talking about marijuana addiction. You know, it's just like, I don't know, 420 historically, obviously, for stoners is like get as stoned as possible all day long in public if possible. It's St. Patty's Day for stoners. Yeah. 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 And um, I don't know. It's it's. It's indicative of the work that I've done, and it's it's interesting. I was talking to my friend about this, how, like, it's not surprising. It's aligned with the work I'm doing, mm -hmm. but you never really know. And I'm sure you can relate to this, like, the specifics of what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I did my dad's live stream because the last time I had didn't, done his live stream, I wasn't even 90 days sober. Yeah. And it was still kind of felt dangerous to be like, I'm a marijuana addict. You know, when people were like, marijuana is not addict, you know, like that felt paralyzing because it was something that I knew, but it was really hard to accept. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I did it almost 90 days sober, you know, I had, as you remember, like short yellow hair and like I, there was like a live wire energy about me. Like I was very fragile and mm -hmm. brittle. And that's because I, you know, went because through, you were very yeah, fragile. I still. was. Yeah, I was. Totally. And um, sometimes I'm like, maybe I was like public prematurely, but I also am thankful that that document exists because mm -hmm. Not only is it a reminder to me of like where I've been and who I've been, but also I think um, there's this writer named Jill Louise Busby and she I'm in this year long manuscript container with Chloe Caldwell, who's a brilliant writer. Um, she wrote the memoir Red Zone, which is about um, premenstrual dysphoria disorder. So it's like the only memoir about periods. And she wrote a bunch of other books, too. Wait a minute. Yeah. Premenstrual dysphoria disorder. Yeah, it's like really bad. What's PMS. that? What is it? Really bad PMS, like debilitating PMS, Pre essentially. Okay. Okay. Um, PMDD. Um, and so I'm in her year-long manuscript container. So Jill came to the class to talk about her essay a collection called Unfollow Me, Essays on Complicity. Mm -hmm. And something she said, she said that as an artist, she's committed to changing in public. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the first time that I, uh, that I heard articulated what I've been doing without realizing it that like as an artist I'm committed to changing in public from mm -hmm. the first time that I wrote about my eating disorder when I was 21 um but also you know thinking about how I perform that mm -hmm. is what my book is about mm -hmm. is like you know when I was 21 I felt the need to like bleach my hair and sit on CNN all straight and like be like my family's perfect like I don't know what you're talking about and now you know I think part of what's been really beautiful about this process is that I am changing in public, but I'm not performing. Mm -hmm. And that is its own vulnerable experience and its own transformative thing for me. But mm -hmm. also like it just shows other people that change takes time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the speed of the Internet has set the expectations that things change so fast when in fact, like it takes 100 years for like a, a cataclysmic change to occur. That's completely true. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I look at what you're doing is. I've been talking about this a lot lately. It's so it's so interesting how themes show up mm -hmm. and then it becomes what you're talking about for the moment. Yeah. But to me, what you're doing is a service, Thank right? Thank you. It's, it, and we're supposed to be of service. We are not, we don't survive in a vacuum. Yeah. And you can't survive without being of service in some capacity. Yeah. And for some people that's donating money, for some people that's volunteering time, and for some people that's being vulnerable in public and saying, this is what I'm going through and you are being of service to people who may need to hear what you have to say on that day or what, or may go back to your 90 day sober and look at that and go, oh my God, look where she is today yeah. versus where she was then. And that's possible for me too. All of this is service. I, I, 
I hope so. It is. I hope so. I it mean, it is. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I, you know, I've had lifelong proximity to a platform and I, you know, I think it's easier to have a platform. Everybody has access to Instagram. The influencer model is like what people aspire to, you know, and so it's not as difficult to be seen. Um, but regardless of that, like I've always been visible by proximate proximity of my dad. And sometimes that's been negative and sometimes it's been positive. And I think now that I'm a sober person and I'm older, like I'm learning how to use that in a way that affects, well, not only grants me opportunity, but also it's like, I think that we're all craving authenticity. I think we're all craving connection. And there's a lot of fake bullshit out there. There's a lot of like, I mean, I open Instagram now and it's like, this product changed my life. <laughs> Try this goo and you'll feel four again, you know? And it's like, and I'm like, maybe I need to buy it, you know? And it's like, I, we're so used to buying things to feel something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just, it's, it's been... I feel more grounded, but I also feel my life opening up in this way that I'm almost like, I wish I was still 90 days sober and all I had to do was stay sober because now it's like my life is getting bigger mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's both amazing and exciting, but also terrifying. Right. Cause it's like, I can't hide from this shit, you know? Right. Um, which is, so part of that, I paused newly sober, the newsletter, just because I thought I would spend the, the first part of the year looking back on my first, like leading up to getting sober and then my rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And then I was using the content of the newsletters to create podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. um, I did four and I was like, I have to stop. Because, Why? So I always considered myself like sort of like having a high bottom because like I still had an apartment and like, like the, the sort of facade of my life was pretty much intact. Like I didn't lose too much, mm -hmm. you know? And so when I had to look back on like the days leading up to like my rock bottom and getting sober, not only was it like really traumatizing to sort of on a like biweekly basis, turn through really traumatic material and create content out of it. Mm -hmm. But also it made me realize like, oh, it was bad. Like mm. I wasn't a high bottom, you know, like, right. like, yeah. And in, you know, recovery meetings, I'll hear someone being like, you know, I was addicted to meth and I lost all my teeth and I had no possessions. And like, that's a low bottom for sure. But I think because I had sort of like the accoutrements of a life, I thought that I had a high bottom. But in upon reflection, again, it had to get really bad for me to recognize that something was wrong because and, and I've been thinking about this a lot because um, I am in love and have a boyfriend. And, uh, and he's sober, but he's not in the program. Oh, great. Which is super interesting because, yeah. you know, I talk to people in the program. They're like, oh, well, he's dry. Like, oh, he'll have to come to the program, you know. And and at first I was kind of trepidatious because I was like, well, he's not sober like me, you know. Uh, but I've just been shown that, like, there's so many different ways to be sober. Like, of course, it starts with phys physical sobriety. I don't do drugs or alcohol, like no mind altering substances. Um, and of course, there's emotional sobriety. But what I'm starting to sort of realize is that like when you're sober, you are free from self-deception mm -hmm. that like there's a level of honesty in that mm -hmm. that um, is like sort of an undoing. And like for some people, they just like decide. Um, and I, I was excited to talk to you about this because I know that you had a history of drinking and then you stopped and you can do it occasionally and whatever. And I remember like, you know, in the rooms I have I'm an addict like 
if I started drinking, I may never stop. You know, right. it's like it's not as simple as like, whoa, that's too much. Got to stop. You know, yeah, yeah. like I did dabs once, felt my soul leave my body, projectile vomited <laughs> on the couch and the dog, shook in the bathtub for three hours. And that was just the first time, and you know, and decided, yeah, I'll do that yeah, again. I was like, well, I got high, you know, yeah. and, and that's addiction. Right. A normal yes. person would be like, I had a horrible experience with dabs, so I never did them again. Yes. You know, that's me. I smoked weed four times. I threw up all four times and went, I think I'm good. Exactly. And that's not me. Like, I'm like, but I want to leave my body and, yeah, yeah. you know, go to another spiritual plane. And so with my boyfriend, he doesn't have that, you know, where like he kind of decided he was like, I'm done. I want I, I want to achieve different things with my life. I want to turn the ship around. He's turning the ship around. And I also turn the ship around, but we did it through different means. Right. You know, and yeah. so it's been kind of it's 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 not only been like, wow, there's so many different ways to do this. Um, but also like it kind of made me question the ways in which I was being closed minded and mm -hmm. being like, there's this one way to do it, you right. know? Um, well, I think for yeah. the safety of the people in the program, mm -hmm. uh, from my understanding, uh, outside looking in, yeah, I think for the safety of the people in the program, it has to be presented as is this way or the highway yeah. because it's, it's. You know, addicts are criminals. Yeah. And they're going to find the workaround. Yeah. And if you go, well, this way or Buddhism, then they're going to go Buddhism and then back and forth. Yeah, and then yeah. they can't stay on the track. Yeah. I understand why it's um, presented that way. Definitely. But I do agree with you. I think there's I was definitely, definitely had a drinking problem mm -hmm. big time mm -hmm. but my problem was really a mental health problem right so once i addressed mental health the drinking was a non-issue and i wonder how many people in the program are are not maybe addressing the mental health in a fast track way yeah so that it can shift off to the alcohol or whatever their addiction is meaningless i'm sure there are people where they're just straight addicts yeah. and it just doesn't matter. Well, majority. You, yes, you know? I think so. But probably there's some that could take a different path and be successful. Definitely. But they can't present it that way. I understand why. I think I resent like there's this book called uh, Quit Like a Woman that Ooh, I have not I read. resent. Yeah, I know. It's a strong word. Yeah. I know. I got to take it to my resentments, do some step work on it. But, you know, it's kind of like... Wait, what's the book called again? Quit Like a Woman. It's okay. written by this writer named Holly Whitaker. Uh -huh. And it's kind of presented as like the feminist takedown of 12-step. Um, while, and from what I understand, taking the 12-step, the like the ideas of 12-step and repackaging it and making an app and charging people $40 a month for it. Oh. Obviously, I love 12-step recovery. I'm in a recovery program. Um, but I, res I resent when people frame it's like, that's bad. This is it. Right? right. And I think what's beautiful about my relationship. His name is Tracy. Tracy. Yeah. Nice. He's six foot five. He's oh really God. nice. He's Where'd so you meet kind. him? Tinder. <laughs> you did. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's just supposed to work, you know? It does. I mean, I, for a long time, I've called it a bottom feeder app. <laughs> Why? Because there's so many different, you know, there's Hinge, there's Raya, which I was on for a little while, which like you pay $20 a month to be able to swipe five times and like maybe one time you'll see a celebrity and you never match with anybody or I never did. I think I was like oh too God. weird for Raya. Um, and then like Bumble, which they like they never message back like ladies are supposed to message first or whatever. Tinder, you can get as the like the most amount of swipes for the, like free. And so I would like go through my hinge, go through my Raya. I think I was on Coffee Meets Babel. And then and then I would just like swipe, swipe, swipe on Tinder for like an hour. Um, but we met there and it's weird because I I uh, I remembered 
swiping on him and being like, I hope we match. Um, because sober was in his bio. Yeah. Um, and so we like talked for like a week on tin on Tinder, like had like a, a conversation. And then um we were gonna go on a date and I got sick. And so our first date was a FaceTime, like we FaceTimed. Mm-hmm. And I was like in my bed, in my pajamas, and we just talked for like three hours. And oh I my like, God. literally did a COVID test. I was like, hey, <laughs> like doing a COVID. I was like, is this sexy? <laughs> um, so I really like I I clearly did not care. You know, I was like, I was just myself. You, you came know? as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we got ice cream and then now we're together. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So He's like fun. a really beautiful brilliant wonderful human being oh like i i was dating someone in the fall who like i thought i was in love with Mm -hmm. and they decided to stop drinking and joined the program but also it turned out was smoking weed the whole time Mm -hmm. and things blew up when they smoked a bowl on facetime in front of me Mm -hmm. like in the middle of our conversation and as soon as that happened, you know, I was trying to be very open minded about it. I was like, you know, I know they smoke weed. I know that they're in the process of sort of undoing that. Um, and so I tried to sort of be like, I know that, you know, you didn't mean to. I want to understand where you're coming from. Like, I want to give you the opportunity to explain yourself. And they just kind of unraveled. And oh. we're just like, you're not safe. I don't feel safe. I don't want to hear anything about your recovery. Oh, geez. So Lord. it just it, it detonated really quickly. And I think it was a valuable experience because I learned I I have a huge capacity to love Mm -hmm. but i need to choose the right person Mm -hmm. to build a life with yes and i think you're a romantic i'm absolutely a romantic you're a romantic and i'm the good and the bad about a romantic is you fall in love a lot yeah you know and and that's amazing and also very hard it is because it breaks your little heart it does but i i'm i'm grateful for the experience not only because it taught me that I will always find love you know that's Mm -hmm. never going to be the problem the problem is my picker and you know (laughs) the problem is my picker and you know feel like in retrospect seeing the ways in which the self-deception was so alive and I was accepting it because I was trusting right and now with Tracy it's like he's not lying to himself like he's not secretly smoking weed he is present, right. you know, and I am present. And that is it's it's like a very different experience. Isn't it a whole new world when you get to that place? Right. Uh, the thing about emotional maturity is you have to have the ability to hold two things at one time. Yes. Right. So you have to be able to be that romantic and say, what's really happening here? Yeah. And never lose the romantic. Yeah. But add to your repertoire. This common sense, linear thinker who goes, okay, he's present. Never said, hadn't seen that before. Now that I look back at my track record, was I just holding on to that romantic piece? Definitely. You know, if you, if you, that's emotional maturity in every situation in your life with friendships, with your children, when you have children, with your parents, yeah. is to go, this is what I'm feeling, but it may not be accurate. Yeah. Because your feelings don't tell the truth. Your feelings are just feelings. Yeah. The truth also has very little feelings attached. So you need them both. Yeah. But you have to be able to hold both of them at the same time. And it sounds like you're learning that. That's amazing. I I think for so long, because of my eating disorder, it was learning how to 
discover what I actually felt. Right. It's like for right. so long, I couldn't even name what I was feeling. Yes. Because I was vomiting to avoid feeling them. Yes. And so I spent 10 years learning how to, to identify feeling and name it in therapy. Right. Right. But it almost like I'm, a, I'm an extremist. So it was like I was only in feeling zone. And it's so funny because I have this conversation with my dad a lot where like he's so in logic zone. Uh -huh. Like I, I feel that he could he could stand to hold his feelings a little bit more. Totally. And so, you know, there's this emotional truth. And then there's like, objective fact uh -huh. and yeah i think i think romance and love can be a blind it's like a scrim you know it's mm -hmm. like it's like you you see someone in idealized terms or how you wish them to be mm -hmm. you know and and it's like well how are they actually treating me yes. right facts are very helpful yeah it's like he drove me to lax twice you know what i mean that's he picked a fact. Me up and he drove me and he didn't complain and he showed up early you know and it's like that's different than Pick, being pissed off about picking you up and being in a pissed off move the whole time. Right. You know? Right. Um, which I've experienced a lot of, you right. know? And a lot of people who are romantics, uh, my husband. Yeah. Uh, live a lot in assumptions. Yeah. And assumptions don't help anybody. You know what they say when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. You and me, yep. right? But his modus operandi is assumption and hyperbole. Uh -huh. And his wife keeps going, but what? actually mm -hmm. was said mm -hmm. and what actually happened yeah and let's react to that mm -hmm. and sometimes his assumptions are really good because when we were parenting a teenager uh we saw teenagers but when we were parenting georgia yeah i just took everything as fact and then he would go oh no no she's doing abcd and i'm like but you have no proof of that and then he ended up being right sometimes and yeah. i'd be like damn it that assumption helped us out in this scenario but it's good again to have both yeah so that you can figure out what's really going on sometimes that's really great yeah. that you found somebody who lives in present day is oh, yeah. connected to the truth and present he has drive in a way that i do mm -hmm. and i think that's rare mm -hmm. and um Actually, it's funny because like I think I, I and like I, I you and I get along so well because mm -hmm. I think that we approach things like we ping pong at each other, you know, and we come from different angles. Right. And I think that if if I were to compare my relationship, to, my very young relationship to your steadfast long marriage, I'm more the Bert. Oh, yeah. He's more the Leanne. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Oh, you're the Bert all day long. <laughs> Just know this, in every relationship forever, you will always be the bird. Yeah. And if you're not, it's not the right relationship for you. Yeah. Because there is a bird and a Leanne in every relationship. Yeah. And it's rare that I'm the bird. It happens sometimes where I need the focus for whatever reason yeah. or I get it. But I, to me, I mean, just from my own personal experience, that makes a really fulfilling relationship for both people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you know who you are, Bert or Leanne, yeah. then you know what you should be looking for. Bert's always critiquing me about not being like overreactive for something. And yeah. I was like, could you imagine if there were two of you in this relationship? <laughs> there would be no room for anything. Somebody would be dead. There would be blood. There's no way that one yeah. of you wouldn't survive it. Yeah. You have to have someone who's just solid and then you balance each other out. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what I was saying when Georgia was doing sneaky shit behind my back and I just trusted her and believed her yeah. because I'm so linear and fact-based and I have no evidence that there's anything wrong. Yeah. And Bert's like, fuck evidence. She's <laughs> fucking 16. Yeah. She's doing shit. Yeah. And come to find out she is. Yeah. That's the balance. Now, yeah. his, his also made assumptions outside of that parameter 
that were completely incorrect. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. fucking a college boy. She's fucking a college boy at this mom's house. And I'm like, not happening. <laughs> not what mom lives in an apartment. I was like, single mom, maybe yeah. single mom. Yeah. We're not in like a fancy school where everybody's a celebrity. Yeah. We're in a regular private. So yeah. like re- regular private school sounds stupid. I know. But, but our in L.A., that's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. And, and come to find out single mom who's a nurse lives in an apartment. I'm yeah. like, dude. Some of your assumptions need to like calm down. Yeah. And some of them I need to ramp up. Well, it's how you balance. It's like this, right? It's like. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's I, a scale. Uh, it is a scale. I, it's, so your podcast is no more? Or I, is it on I pause? pause? It's okay. on pause. Um, I think just the emotional labor required to do that writing was just too taxing. Yeah. I'm definitely at this point where I'm taking off things. Like, oh, okay. so I. I <laughs> I need money to move out of my parents' house. So yeah. I'm trying to find work. But um, the things that pay me money. Uh, <laughs> and, but I, I recently got my like 10 year reunion, high school reunion time capsule. Oh, wow. Um, what uh, is like, that? Yeah. So I guess, you know, when we were seniors, they like put up like our parents wrote us notes. Oh, my and God. We put some stuff that we found valuable in there. And my mom uh put like stacks of printed pictures in there and in there was a dvd of my senior year musical in which i was belle in beauty and the beast amazing because of course i was and um my brother douglas was gaston in the other cast so we're two casts and then jordan was cogsworth so the three of us all had leading roles in our 92 person class high school um and i was watching it I started watching it alone. Jordan came in intermittently and then Tracy watched it with me. I was like, this guy likes me if he's watching my <laughs> high school musical. <laughs> totally. Um, but it, first of all, everything felt so high stakes. Like watching, I was like, this is just a high school musical, you know? But when I was in it, mm-hmm. it was like the weight of the world was on me. And it, it was interesting watching it because I so embodied Princess Belle, you know? Like I could do the princess voice. I could, you know, whatever. And everything I did was like so choreographed and so meticulous. Mm-hmm. I can you can hear that I'm not breathing because mm-hmm. I'm pitchy as hell. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, be sometimes I land a note, and then most of the time, you know, it's a high school musical. People yeah. are pitchy. Um, but I also, you know, over the course of doing musical theater in college and all that stuff, you know, I learned how to de- breathe deeper. And when you're singing, you have to take a deep breath. And when you're singing higher, it's like you kind of have to hit, like, open your mouth wider and kind of project more air Hmm. and I was doing the opposite I was closing my mouth and like just straining Mm. and you know watching it it was such a kind of in it was an insane thing to watch with you know 10 years later in a world in which I breathe deeper Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking more about the ways in which I feel in control and how that's an illusion Mm -hmm. and you know I going through all these stacks of pictures that my mom gave me in the time capsule i did so much by the time i was 18 Mm. like ice skating dance lead of the musical twice like all this stuff that felt so high stakes Mm -hmm. before i even left the house right and i recently have been experiencing insane burnout like Mm. just so burnt out and i came to realize that i i always put so much pressure on myself Mm -hmm. you know like I didn't have to be perfect, but I felt like I had to be perfect all the time. And mm-hmm. I still grapple with that mm-hmm. of like my perfectionism and, and artist way talks about this too, right? Like, 
you know, perfectionism keeps us from even trying mm -hmm. because if you're thinking about what you're doing wrong, you can't even do it. Right. Um, and I, I was able to do things, but I was so like there was such a rigidity rigidity to me mm -hmm. that was a disservice. Mm -hmm. And and so now I'm starting to be like, what am I what when do I feel like I'm in control and how do I surrender that? Mm hmm. Because regardless of whether I was in control, things unfolded. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether I'm in control now, things will unfold. Mm -hmm. Like there is a divine plan of goodness for me. And like, I think it requires kind of letting go of my grip a little bit. Surrender. Yeah. The the key to happiness is surrender. Yeah. 100%. Um, I had a, a teacher in New York that used to say, make things happen, then let things happen. Dang. So do your work. Do the best you can and then let it go. Yeah. Because when you do that, something even better than you could have ever imagined might show up. Yeah. So you have to make things happen and then let things happen. And we're not taught that in school. No. And especially generations after mine, which is you, you're way after me. You could be my kid. <laughs> but in my kids' school, I look at what they're What's socially acceptable and the social norm in school now is so over scheduled yeah. that it's unsustainable for the, you know, you can't think that that is actual life. Yeah. Right. Because then once you get out of college, oh, you'd feel like a loser. Mental breakdown. Uh, completely. Yeah. I would imagine like you can keep yourself busy through college just like you did through high school because yeah. it's the same institution, so to speak. Yeah. But once you get into the workforce, you are completely on your own. And yeah. it's. That's such an abrupt change and you can become a workaholic mm -hmm. you can, but the, it's not as diverse as when you're in college or high school. Yeah. So I could, I would imagine it would make you feel like I'm a total loser. I, I, I only have a job. Yeah. I also have to volunteer and yeah. do this side hustle and it's too much pressure. And part of the reason we have mental health issues, I think well, I was listening this morning to someone talk about, you know, because there was unfortunately the shooting in Tennessee, oh, so sad. which is terrible. Um, talk about mental health in America. Mm -hmm. And my brain just went, it starts with education. Yeah. The problem is how we educate our kids mm -hmm. in school mm -hmm. and how we run the social structure of that education and yeah. what is acceptable and what is not. The whole time my kids were in school, I felt like our school's philosophy was you're a straight A student or a failure. Yeah. And anything in the middle yeah. is not acceptable. Yeah. And in our house, I was like, I'm taking the middle. Yeah. But we're the only house on the block that's taking the middle. So I'm asking my kids to step outside of the social norm yeah. and change the way they're thinking, which is nearly impossible to do by yourself yeah you can't well, do that in a vacuum well especially as a kid right you want to be like everybody else exactly you want to be that straight a student and i as much as we've said we don't give a shit i need you to try your hardest yeah and whatever grade you get is all i care about and that's the end of, and you need to we've always made them be in a, involved in at least one extracurricular activity at school that represents the school. Mm -hmm. So not a club where you're talking about like movies. Yeah. I mean, like represent the school on the debate team. That's or important. The sports team. Yeah. But only one. Yeah. We're not playing multiple sports. We're yeah. not, we're not playing softball and basketball and volleyball. I mean, we're not doing that. Yeah. That's insanity. Yeah. One thing you do one thing. Georgia played lacrosse. 
Isla's on the taiko team, the drum team. I love that's that. It. I love that so much. That's it. Now she does jujitsu, but yeah. that's her choice. Yeah. And that's something she'll do until she's 100 if she yeah. wants to. Taiko's going to end when school's over. So, I mean, I'm sure she could, for, you know, form her own taiko team. Yeah. Unlikely, but she could. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I've, I think it sucks that society has set these kids up with that mentality. Yeah. A plus or failure. You know, that was my childhood. It's not good to be an electrician. Yeah. Because that's not an A plus. It's a failure. Yeah. And you're like, you're so stupid. My electrician boyfriend from high school retired last year. Oh, my God. And he's 50 fucking two. Oh, my God. So he's retired. Doesn't have to work again. He's going to live another 30 or 40 years and not have to work. He's a fucking electrician. Come on. I mean, somebody has to wear the lighting in the house. Hello. And it costs money. And he's there for his I'm kids. sure there's a union, too. They're protected. Totally. Well, yeah. for certain electricians. Yeah. He was his own boss. Yeah. And got to run his own schedule and vacation with his family and uh, be at every softball game he could be. And, 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 and we still promote this high achieving, insane way of life. Yeah. And, and I'm living that high achieving, insane way of life myself. Yeah. But it's, I'm happy. But I think it doesn't make everybody happy. Yeah. And unfortunately, society presents it that. That's the only thing that will make you happy. And it's so stupid. The other day, like, Tracy, we watched... His mom followed me on Instagram, which I fucking love. And she, like, Instagram stalked me. So she, like, liked some things. And she found one of my videos from when I was ice skating. And... Like from when you were little? And from like I won the Funakoshi Award when I was 16. And oh, it's like okay. this beautiful sort of lyrical program. Awesome. And when we first started dating, I, sh- I sent him like me as Miss Piggy on ice, you know, and like that's his favorite one, you know. Um, I was like, oh, your mom commented on this. And he was like, oh, have I seen this one? I was like, no. And we watched it and he was very moved by it. But then he kind of sunk in and was just like, like, I haven't accomplished everything that you have. And that is not like when I when I'm looking for a partner, I'm not looking for like what their resume is like, because my resume is impressive. But holy shit, I was so unhappy that mm. entire time. Best message you could give. It's so unhappy. Yeah. And, and, and it's like I've had every resource and privilege and imaginable. Right. Mm. And so it wasn't easy to do all those things, but everything was in my favor. Mm-hmm. And. I was trying to explain to him that, like, I see that he's turning the ship around. I see that he's making steps and strides towards facilitating a life beyond his wildest dreams, you know, and that, like, just because you didn't do it at 16 doesn't mean that, like, 35 is too late. 35 is, like, right on time. Totally. We uh, we were watching Pumping Iron, which is my favorite movie. Oh, my God. And um, he was like, okay, so 28, he was Mr. Olympia. So he didn't do the Terminator movies until he was 35. I was like, right. Like. We, we have this idea that like at 22, your life is over, you right. know? And, and so, um, so there's that, but in artist way and something that I'm really taking from artist way, cause I did it, this is my seventh time through the group, the book. And it's, it, it just gets more and more fulfilling each time I do it. And something that I'm really taking to heart is like one, like your, 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 your artist is your inner child. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get your artist to do the work, any work, you have to facilitate a sense of play. Mm. And so I'm sitting on an orthopedic pillow because I slipped leaving a (laughs) tiny house in rural Washington um, and hit some wooden steps. And so I had a huge bruise. It was like a bad Batman tramp stamp on my ass. Oh, my God. And it was debilitating. Not broken. Not broken. Got x-rays, but like couldn't lay down, couldn't sit. 
was in bed for two weeks and, you know, I didn't prioritize play. I didn't prioritize movement just because I was, I mean, I think being in the realm of pain is like being in a different stratosphere. Mm -hmm. Like you're not in the world of the living. Mm -hmm. And I think I hear, like, I read a lot of people who write about chronic illness and how, you know, it's like time works differently. And to be in physical pain, like to Elaine Scary, I'm, I'm also teaching a writing the body workshop in May. So if anybody's interested, um, uh, one of the weeks we focus on pain and Elaine Scary writes that um, to ha- to experience pain is to know pain, to hear of pain of another is to deny it. And so it's only when, you know, if you had hit your tailbone, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I couldn't sit for a month, right? Like you have the insider's knowledge of having experienced that in your body. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to, to articulate, like, I can't drive my car and get to a meeting. It's too painful. Aww. And all so so like I love self-pity. I love feeling bad for myself. It sucked. <laughs> but really what what came kind of clear for me is like, you know, I was a childhood athlete. I've started ice skating again. It, when I don't ice skate once a week, it's bad for my mental health. Right. That movement and, and Julia Cameron in, in chapter 11, she talks about like the Zen of sports. I think so often when we think about exercise, it is either as punishment or to get a result. Mm-hmm. And at this point in my life, I cannot exercise looking at the calorie count. I'm not doing it to sort of like lose weight or whatever. And so, you know, through bilateral stimulation, blood goes to your brain different and you can make connections, right? So like if you have a problem and you go on a walk, you're going to find solutions, right? Mm -hmm. And so after two weeks of being in bed, it really came clear to me of like, my body is an instrument that I need to work with. And part of that is through movement. And part of that is through play. Mm -hmm. And so I like on Thursday, last Thursday, I went to my friends, the blushes, they had a listening party and I dressed all crazy. And like, I remember that play and fun is how I get how I get myself to answer emails that like I have to input fun and play so that I can show up as an adult. Right. And that is like really what's beautiful about the artist way is that like that's the penultimate crux of it is Mm -hmm. like your artist is your inner child and your inner child needs you to crimp your hair and Mm -hmm. wear cowboy boots and fun nail polish. And Again, it's not about achieving success in a way that is societally acceptable. It's about creating because you need to create. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, having velvet curtains because you love velvet curtains, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Play is more important than piety. Mm. Play gets you closer to God than anything else. Well, but piety is the American way or puritanical roots. It's not. It's not. Well, that's fine. But (laughs) look where it's taking us. Play. (laughs) Play is the most important thing you can connect with yeah in everything Mm -hmm. even when you're working hard at a job Mm -hmm. if you can make in your homework sucks make it play make it a game yeah anything you can turn into play is it it just makes it effortless right and what you're saying about working out is so true our mentality is either result related or what's the other thing you said punitive punitive yeah and i the shift has to happen globally because we came from we had to work the land to live yeah a hundred years ago yeah and that working the land to feed yourself is totally gone yeah so there's no need but our biologically we're built everyone is an athlete yeah and an athlete digging a ditch is a different athleticism than ice skating but they're both athleticism Mm -hmm. so We've just lost that whole piece of our, I mean, there's not even PE in school anymore. It's one really? Day, one day a week, kids have PE in elementary school. 
And in what? high school, yep, one day a week they get PE. Wow. And you're like, of all the age groups, yeah. those elementary school kids need to run it out. Yeah. You know? well, and it's play. a balancer. It's the play. Yeah. It's the place where that I'm not an A student kid sometimes excels. Either yeah. their imagination for play is is like excellent and yeah. all the kids that are the A plus students follow this imagined person or they're an athlete, a true athlete. Yeah. And those two people get to excel where they maybe don't get to excel in the classroom. Yeah. So one day a week they get to excel on the playground. Isla was like the most popular kid on the playground. I believe that. Because so, her imagination is off the chain. Yeah, I bet so, she's so much fun to play with. She's so much fun yeah. even today yeah. because her imagination is so connected to her her present moment. And, you know, she go in a classroom and she's too busy in her imagination. Yeah. So she's not a great student. So that I, it's infuriating that education can't see that piece is missing for mental health yeah. and for your physical health yeah. and for your educational health to have one hour a day where you're not thinking that yeah. same way that you think in the classroom. Yeah. You have to think to play a sport. And to be an imaginative well, person. It's reactive, right? It's yes. List, it's, it's integrating it's sensory play. information and responding. And it's play. And it's play. I mean, so the letter that my mom wrote in my time capsule brought me to tears. And Aww. she said, you know, I hope that you prioritize athletics and arts with your children. And it was, it's only through that sort of self-reflection of like, she, I mean, and then whenever I talk about elementary school with her, she was like, well, they didn't have anything for you at that school. So you had to ice skate, you know? And I wish that, I don't know. I don't know if that was the right message, but I think that she recognized a talent and an artistry in me mm -hmm. that wasn't um, highlighted at my school. Mm -hmm. I mean, my fourth grade teacher told her that I wasn't going to make it through poly and that I was a valley girl and my head <laughs> is in the clouds and I needed to listen to the news, you know? Um, <laughs> and of course, my mom having no boundaries told me that verbatim at oh my 10. Um, right. And so I was like, I'm dumb. And I held that belief until I was 21. All the while, you know, still she 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 prioritized and cultivated my artistry and my athleticism. But it was at that breakneck pace right. that was also expected of me at school. Right. And so it's like, you know, with Tracy, he was telling we like drove by his childhood house and he was telling me how he would like ride his bike two blocks to the park and just like ride. And I was like, I'm not good at riding bikes because I didn't get to do that. Right. You know, and and it's almost like I don't know, I, I feel I feel gratitude for the ways in which I I learned how to I mean, I loved ice skating and I was very good at it. And there is a sense of pride now that mm -hmm. I'm kind of moved through the resentment and anger. Like I have these videos of like and I can still go and do stuff, you totally. know, like that. It's not it's not this contained thing. It's this thing that lives in me. And it, 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 it was my first love and passion. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but the lack of play in my life was so deadening. Like, yeah, that's, it was deadening. What an amazing thing to recognize now. And guess what you get to do? Oh, I play all the time now. A hundred percent. I mean, my job is literally teaching people how to play. A hundred percent. And yeah. guess what? You can ride your bike two blocks to a park and ride and ride and ride yeah. a bike. So fun to ride bikes yeah. around. You can do anything like that you want to. Mm -hmm. And how exciting. And that curiosity about how that will affect the larger pieces of your life to see, to be curious about play yeah and it's it's like collateral effect 
to everything. Everything. I mean, I remember when I was at Second City, I was so anxious in improv class because that's it's all about play. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't let go enough mm -hmm. to get out of my head hear what someone was saying and then respond like uh -huh. I was just all here yeah and and you know it makes sense in terms of my training I was trained to be hyper cerebral which is why I can sit here and pontificate and whatever um well that and you were also trained to be very precise because yeah. ice skating is a precision oh. sport you have oh to be God. very precise and you have to be an expert in so many different things it, to be able to ice skate it's right? insane dance movement oh. um, it's insanity yeah, it's I, it's something that I so I'm in this year long manuscript container. So I'm working on a book length project and it's it's focus is performance, perfectionism and body and how, you know, there I had this memory of want like crying through a ballet lesson the whole hour strapped into my mom's car. My mom still had to pay for it. And I hated ballet. Mm -hmm. Because all they did was like micromanage me and mm -hmm. tell me that my body was wrong mm -hmm. for an hour. Right. Um, and sounds fun. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> they're like, why are you crying? I was like, because they tell me to fucking tuck my popo in every four minutes and I just have a big butt. Like, I'm not going to be one of these skeletal ballerinas. Like, right. I need more than just like thinking about the angle of my shoulder blade at the ballet bar. But then, you know, at a certain point, I kind of submitted, you know, and when I was a kid, I would get really excited and I would go like, go like this because my fingers are hyperextended. And so my ice skating coach would like trail after me being like, panda hands, you're doing teddy bear hands. Oh, my God. <laughs> and because I would just like, you know, my hands would betray me. Right. Yeah. That, that Like there is effort in what I'm doing. Yeah. And when watching that video that I watched with Tracy of me winning the Funakoshi Award with like my lyrical program, Winter, Tori Amos, um, you know, I had the ballet hands like going from teddy bear hands to butterflies like after 10 years of sort of submitting to that training, mm -hmm. it looked effortless, but it was entirely concentrated effort. Right. And like the, 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 any sort of performance is like a, conveying effortlessness in a way that doesn't betray the effort it took. Right. And my entire life was incredible effort in every, like, eating the right calories, exercising the right amount, burning the right calories. And, and, you know, I think, you know, with Ozempic, have you heard about this? It's like uh, a diet pill yeah. that everybody's on right now. It's like, we don't prioritize feeding ourselves, whether that is through joy, play, content. Like, I mean, we feed ourselves through content, but what about nourishment? Right. Right. We're so divorced from the land. We're so divorced from our hunger. We're so divorced from what actually brings us joy that we are like, yeah, all that matters is being skinny. It's all about how I look. Right. Um, you know what I heard on hmm, NPR hmm. a couple of days ago? The death rate for people in their 50s in America uh -oh. has increased. I'm sure. And and they didn't know why. We don't know why. And I'm like, I know why. Mm -hmm. We grew up eating processed food. Mm -hmm. That's all we ate. Yeah. Now, I grew up with a mom who was microbiotic and a dad whose parents lived on a farm and grew everything that was on the table from the beef to the vegetables, everything they grew themselves. Yeah. So I didn't grow up eating like that. But societally, I think we did grow up eating, you know, Kraft mac and cheese mm -hmm. and saltine crackers with our Campbell soup. And it's just process, process, process. Yeah. Because... As we industrialized as a nation, people did get away from farming, from the the home farm. Yeah. You know, almost yeah. everybody before industrialization had their own farm, unless they lived in a big city like New York. Yeah. But everybody had a farm. You had to. You couldn't possibly 
supply yourself with everything you needed to feed your family when when life was kind of more rural and simpler and less industrialized. Yeah. And so people lived shorter lives back then because of disease, I think, and lack of medical knowledge. But I wonder how much it would change that statistic specifically if we all just had grown up eating like our grandparents did. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, you know, Kristen, um, mm-hmm. Kristen Richards, uh, a friend of the pod and oh, my personal trainer. And also like I did her nutrition program and, you know, it was the first time that I was I went to a nutritionist um, for ages 12 to 18. And I was told exactly what to eat. And it was like 100 calorie pack and half a thing thin bar and, you know, caloric like 1200 calories a day. Right. Like hyper fixated on calories. It doesn't is, work. It doesn't work. And no. you're left hungry and. I'm I, I'm afraid I'm infertile. I don't know. Oh, my yeah. God. I Why don't, are you afraid you're infertile? I don't know, because I didn't bleed properly until I was like 20, you know, because like oh, I was so underweight. That was your eating disorder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also the way I was being fed, you know, it's like, again, Ozempic makes me skinny. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry. It doesn't matter if my brain doesn't function. How I look is important. Does and, Ozempic make your brain not function? Well, I'm assuming you're not eating right. So what is a? I'm not on Ozempic. It's like the new I don't know nothing weight about. loss drug. I mean, I know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. But just to make you not hungry. It's. I. I think so. I think so. Well, here's how I eat as an adult, and my body is what it is. I eat greens with everything. Yeah, that's it. So I figure if you're eating greens with everything, then you're doing pretty good. Well, but that's right? what I loved about Kristen is it felt like the first time I was given actual nutritional information of like. The more whole the food is to the way it came out of the ground, the more nourishing it's going to be. Totally. Here's green light. Here's what you want most of. Yellow, some of, red, just a little bit. You know, like none of it is like, that's a bad food. Right. That's like, you, you can't know. eat that. Right. And, and you know, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot about the concept of hunger a lot and mm-hmm. how you know, Ozempic is emblematic of a culture that doesn't want to feed its hunger. Mm. That starvation is premium because the way you shrink is how you are seen. Right. Right. And, you know, in the same way that I'm like cultivating play, I'm also like thinking about how I feed myself. And there was a period of time right before I got injured where I was like feeding myself felt like a chore. And Kristen was like, um, as somebody who has a history of eating disorder, it makes me nervous that you feel that way. Right. Um, And part of it was because I was holding, you know, and and it's all integrated. It's all like our mind and our body are the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's lucrative, right? Because it's like craft is a fucking empire, you know. Like, oh, you mean processed yeah, food? Yeah, processed food. Like you go into a bodega in Brooklyn, it's all processed food. You go to Europe, it's all fresh, yeah. you know. And it's and, and it's it's systemic. And it's just we keep coming back to the systemic things that yes. like it is top down. Where where is the infrastructure? Like you know, soy is given more money soy and corn are given more money than fresh produce you know and so it's going to be less expensive to eat a bag of doritos you know totally but how we eat is how we function like yeah, feeding totally. your brain like our body our brain needs natural fats we need oil nuts avocado mm-hmm. egg yolk all of which i was not allowed to eat as a teen you couldn't have any of those things as a teen avocado had too much fat oh avocado is so good for you it's so good and it's so yummy it's i mean it's but it's just like Again, it's just so like the restrictions, right? It's like the restrictions, the way that we think, the way we we simulate control. Mm-hmm. And then we end up binging. We're like, why am I binging? It's like, because you're starving yourself. You're but, hungry. You know, control is an illusion. Yeah. It's a complete lie. 
Yeah. I think. Control yeah. is a lie. We tell ourselves to feel safe. When the truth is, surrender is the only safety because then you're a, then you're allowed to let life lead you where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Make things happen. Let things happen. You just let it go. Well, that's to bring it back to Julia Cameron, because, you know, I'm in the artist way. I'm in it. That's you are my deep life in it, philosophy. Girl. We show up, we do our morning pages. Yeah. We do three pages stream of consciousness. We do the next right indicated action. We go get paints at the store because we want to do watercolor. You know, like, yeah, that's how you make it happen. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. It's, it's not, not hard. It's not hard. You know, it's when, not you, hard. when you're attuned with yourself and you're aligned with your purpose, you know what the next action needs to be. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, I need to stop writing newly sober because I'm debilitated. Right. You know, it's like, this isn't working right now. Right. I need some time. Yeah. Time. And out. I also was in this year long manuscript container and I wasn't able to write for it because I was like on this weekly schedule which right. again for my first year sober I'm going to be so grateful when I go back and see everything that I wrote because it was a live document mm -hmm. you know it was it was easier to sort of like create what was happening in the moment mm -hmm. but the work of looking back and digging things up was too much to do on a bi-weekly like schedule you right. know it was way too much but you should applaud yourself for realizing that and saying pause because yeah. people will go nope i've committed to this i'm going to keep doing oh, it and then me. run themselves right off the road into a ditch that was me and you can't that's that's the learning i think when you or at least for me when i went from drinking to cope to coping to cope yeah there is a learning curve it's not like and now i'm perfect yeah. and i don't make any mistake I'm not still not perfect, but that learning curve is very uncomfortable. Yes. And and you're so unsure because you've been using this other way of coping, quote, successfully. Super easy to just drink. Yeah. You don't have to deal with anything. Yeah. And then you drink and you don't have to deal with it again. Uh, but all of a sudden you've accrued this deposit in the bank that's yeah. huge. And so for you to start like making withdrawals and that and those emotions to start coming up that you have to deal with on top of whatever's happening in present time takes so much maturity that it's really difficult to do. You have to really pace yourself. You can't, you, you have to pace yourself. And if you yeah. don't, then you're going to end up right back where you started. See, that's been the lesson in this moment is like the pacing. Pace yourself. I am. You were never paced as a child. Never. It sounds to me like your pace was full throttle all the all time. All the time. So that's all you know. So mm -hmm. to learn this other um, speed, mm -hmm. would I would imagine, would make you feel less than. Yeah. 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 Make you feel like I'm a loser. Yeah. I'm not achieving because mm -hmm. I'm not achieving at the pace I was taught to achieve at. Taught yeah. by whomever. Yeah. And whomever with best intentions of course everything was yes. the best intentions. 100% best yeah. intentions mm -hmm. I mean it's the same I think everybody can probably say that about all of our parents yeah you know the stuff my parents taught me they thought they were doing the best they could and you look back and go wow that wasn't well thought out well they're just teaching you what they do themselves right they like their are. own maladaptive coping mechanisms yes. is what gets passed down that and you don't I think my generation your parents are between my parents and me. Mm -hmm. So my parents' generation, I don't think so much looked at the child as an individual as much as they looked at a child as I'm sh I should be teaching them X, Y, Z. Yeah. Which one child learns X, Y, Z differently than the other child. Yeah. Because 
They're different humans wired differently, just emotionally wired differently, um, like biologically. So yeah. Georgia and Isla, if I want to teach them a lesson, I cannot do it the same way. Wow. So, but the way I was raised, you do X and if you don't, you get a spanking and yeah. that went for everybody. Yeah. But I have a cousin that shit did not work for him. Yeah. He didn't learn a damn thing from getting spanked. Yeah. You spanked me one time and I'm like, got it. I will <laughs> never do that shit again. Message I received. never do that again. Yeah. He got spanked every single day at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Why? Because Days of Our Lives started at 1 p.m. And every day when Days of Our Lives started, he got a spanking. Oh and for God. something or other. So that's not how he learned yeah. is my point. And yeah. the parents weren't. And I don't mean that my specific aunt and uncle, but parents of that generation weren't the parents that went, huh, you know, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should pivot. Yeah. The the point of view was the child is not getting it. Do it more. Yeah. And that's that's a generational thing. And I think that was probably applicable. Not that your parents were into that kind of no, corporal they punishment. Like, they won't be able to connect with other humans, like somatically with other humans if they get spanked. My dad had a whole thing about oh, that. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Oh, no. I'm not implying that your yeah. parents did that. But no, no, I'm no, no. implying that perhaps their thought process was this is the best for her. Yeah. She doesn't even know it. Oh, and it's my job one to make percent. the best for her. And that's what my aunt and uncle thought when they were spanking their son every day. Absolutely. This is the best for him because I can't let him get away with this behavior without no taking a pause and going, is this really what's most effective to get her where we want her to be? which is healthy, balanced, high-functioning. But the you know, thing is, is I did get there. And that's like kind did. of what's like... You just uh, have this one piece that wasn't working. Right. And, and I guess it's like... Your I, parents were awesome. Yeah. I mean, I worked my ass off. You look at my dad, mm -hmm. he works his ass off. You know what I mean? It's like I was, I was being, you know, I was part of the family lineage, you know? It's like yeah. we work our asses off. And also, like, I was granted the gift of a brilliant education and in addition to that, a very hyper specialized artistic physical skill, you know, and I, I guess I just am not as um, I, there was a period of time in which I was, I mean, years where I was so angry and mm. in resentment. And because I was given the space to express those feelings, whether or not my parents consented or not, I did. <laughs> um, like at this point, it's like I wouldn't change it, but I guess it's more of like I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to identify now like. I get to think about play, you know, like, right. yeah, I would have loved to play more as a kid. That would have been great. But like, I can't reach back into the hand of time and be like, I need to go to more sleepovers. You know, it's like, no, the happy, I think the gift of our childhood is choice, mm. right? So you get your childhood and you get to choose what to keep and what to change. Yeah. That is the gift. And I know there was a certain point in my young adult life where I thought to myself, I don't get to, and I'm not implying that you're doing this, yeah. but this is what happened for me. Yeah. I thought, I don't get to blame my mom for my current choices. Mm. My choices are mine. No, that's where I am now. Yes. Because for so long I was. You were? Oh my, I blame my mom for everything. I get into a room with her. It was like black tar just spewing out of my <laughs> mouth. Like black tar. I was horrible to her, you know? And like in some ways, like part of me is like, it was justified. And then other ways it's like, what did that do? You know, like that, 
again, I don't know. I think a lot like the word victim and survivor is like a thing, but you know, I own my behavior. I um, own my yeah. choices. And That's I think, right. you know, I've, I said this early on in the podcast, like when I first got sober, cause it was so brilliant to me of like with one foot in the past and one foot in the future, you're pissing on the present. Yes. And like, our past does inform our present, right? Like there 100%. are like trauma informed therapy is important and mm -hmm. I've done a fuck ton of it and I could stand to do some more because more shit is coming up. Right. But that the what was done to me, whatever happened in the past, whatever I did to myself, which mm -hmm. is most often the case. Yeah. Is not an excuse to act like a shit bag now. Totally. You know, like you are who you are in the present. All we have is 24 hours at a time. What happened, happened. Yeah. And you can process that and work through that. But when you are allowing and 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 maybe we can circle back to like drinking to cope with what happened. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, what is keeping you from acting like a full thinking, mature, honest, kind person today? Usually it's an excuse. Mm. That's what's keeping you from it is some excuse. Well, self-deception, right? Like, yes, that. Yeah. It, yeah. I think self-deception because I, you know, I mean, the first time I was on this podcast, I was smoking a fuck ton of weed. Right. And I couldn't even identify that I was addicted to it. Right. right and right. I'm sitting here talking about eating disorders and all that. And it's like, I wasn't being honest with myself. Right. So how could I be honest with you? You can't. That's the, that is the key to happiness in life. Mm -hmm. Honesty with yourself is the only way to be. It's so hard. And I, I think that's part of like, of course, like there's so much anti-trans legislation going on right now. And it's, it's, I saw online that it's like, like borderline, like genocidal, like kind of like infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, to identify your gender identity, that is being honest with yourself. That yeah. is a life-saving gesture. Totally. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking to imagine people not seeing that what's stupid to me i don't even think it's heartbreaking i think it's stupid right because what the fuck do you care what someone identifies as? Yeah. how does that affect your life at all yeah don't what shouldn't shouldn't we all just want each other to be happy well but and feel mm -hmm. fulfilled yeah. and feel good in our own skin and does it matter if you identify as an otter <laughs> I don't really care. Be yeah. an otter. Yeah. Otter all day long. Well, You're yeah. not affecting me with your otterness. Well, you know? It's often framed as mental illness while ignoring true mental illness, right? It's exactly. like drug addiction is a disease. Like there's no addressing drug addiction. So many diseases. Like, you know? I had this woman, I, I heard this one on NPR yesterday, talk about her son who is mentally ill and is homeless. Mm -hmm. And she, and he, whatever his illness is, he doesn't always know who she is. Mm -hmm. So she'll show up and she's Carol mm -hmm. who's bringing food again. Damn. And then every once in a while, she'll see a glimmer in his face where he knows that's his mom and he'll call her mom. But it's not consistent. And she said, the problem I have with legislation is. Is it California? Yeah. Yeah. Is that he has the right to live this way, but I don't have a right because now I'm the one suffering. I'm the one having mental health problems because my son's mental health problems are so severe. I'm not sleeping. Yeah. It's affecting my health. So his 
right to basic suicide. Yeah. This is a right for him to wither away and die. Yeah. But we don't allow him to just commit suicide. He yeah. can't put a gun in his mouth. Well, they're they're assuming that he's at the height of his capacity and can make decisions for himself, right? And, and he's clearly not if yeah. he doesn't even recognize his mother. Yeah. And doesn't mm-hmm. recognize her, just thinks she's Carol. Yeah. And then she was like, but I'm going home carrying all this and it's affecting my life yeah. in such a heavy way, but I have no rights. Yeah. But he has the right to diminish into oblivion, to essentially kill himself over time. Yeah. And we don't care enough about him to stop him because it doesn't look like a gun in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, but even, <sighs> even, I mean, in this country, you can have a gun in the mouth and everybody's like, it's your right. Go. You know, it's like, but I can't don't know. you be 5150 if you are, it has to be really to yourself. Bad. It has to be really bad. You have to have a plan. You have to have a plan in order to be held against your will. And the thing is, is like, that's so a crazy. symptom of mental illness, a symptom of drug addiction is this phenomenon called anisognosia, which is like essentially like mental blindness, like self-deception, right? You uh-huh. can't see how sick you are. Right. And so to, you know, that that man on the street to say, you know what? He's at the height of his capacity. He is choosing that is to actually not address his mental illness. 100%. Whereas with like a trans person, like, you know, gender dysphoria was dis- like in the DSM, right? What's um, DSM? Um, the um, diagnostic... Man- manual for I know, diagnostic something something it's like the mental health diagnostic manual okay got it. um but that you have to go through so many tests to get gender affirming care that proves that that is what you need right and there are people who detransition and that's a whole thing but that doesn't mean that the people like that you shouldn't have that option right and it's like it's just such a like a weird dichotomy of like these people who have to go trial, 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 trial to prove that they need care versus these people who need care. Yeah. But we cannot help because we're assuming that they're operating at the height of their capacity. Yes. And um, I don't know. It's it's there's a lot. It's just like there's so much all the time. There is. It's too much to think about. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to think about how broken. How brokenness with a little care. Mm-hmm. And a lot of play mm-hmm. can be alleviated. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all broken. <laughs> I'm as broken as half the people under the bridge, yeah. you know, in in my own way. Yeah. But I've just decided to care for myself, you know, and to have other people care for me. Community is important, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this time around with Artist Way, I'm starting to identify that I facilitate community in a way that we all crave, right? It's a service again. Yeah. Service. We have lost our sense of service, our civic service Mm -hmm. and of community service. Yeah. And to service to people we don't even know. Yeah. That act of service. Just smiling at someone. 100% is service. Yeah. That is. And service, I, I don't know. I don't know how I learned that term service. I think it might have been in church. Yeah. But I definitely don't hear it. I mean, my dad talks about service a lot. He talks about being of service. Like you have to be yeah. of service. Mm-hmm. If if you're of service to a community of any kind, it it does something to you. Yeah. It sound it sounds selfless. Yeah. But it's actually really it's kind of, a it's a double edged sword. It's, it's very kind of, selfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it 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 creates such an intrinsic value about something outside yourself. Yeah, and intrinsic means inside yourself. Mm-hmm. But it does something about outside your world too. Mm-hmm. I think it changes your world. Yeah, if you connect to being of service to people, it changes your whole perspective about everybody on the planet. Yeah. It's so powerful that just and you don't have to be a religion, a religious group to be of service. 
You just have to be a human being. Yeah. And you can be of service to animals, you know, to yeah. the planet, to well, ecology. It doesn't matter. I feel like so much of our, the way things are structured now is like, what can you do for me? Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you get me exposure? Can you yeah. do Instead you of whatever? what can I do for you? Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I think I've been thinking a lot about like energy, that energy begets energy and like, just by virtue of becoming sober, I'm seeing the ways in which like positive energy generates positive energy. Uh, yes. And so um, a negative energy begets negative energy, you yes. know? And so it's like, if you can give goodness, you will get goodness back. 100%. What you focus on grows. I believe that absolutely. I love that. To the soul, bottom of my soul. Mm -hmm. What you focus on grows. Yeah. So if a f if someone cuts you off in traffic, you can focus on that guy's a fucking jerk. What an asshole. Yeah. Fuck that guy in the ass. I hate <laughs> you. Or you can go, wow, that was a close one. Yeah. That person must be in a hurry. Yeah. They're having a bad day. Maybe they just lost their job. Yeah. I don't I can't assume what's going on for them. But yeah. guess what? That wasn't personal. That no. had nothing to do with me. The freaking guy just cut me off in traffic. Yeah. Well, End of it. Also, if you let them in, they don't cut you off. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so... I just don't, I don't want to live my life focusing on that guy's an asshole. What an asshole. Yeah. It's because you just don't know what's happening for other people. And it's so arrogant to assume that that was personal. No. Nobody thinks about you. Nobody <laughs> thinks about you ever. Well, but that's why you have to be a service, right? Is because we're all fucking thinking about ourselves all the time. Uh, totally. You know? And so it's like, you and know. And so you assume everyone else is thinking about you too. Yeah. And it's, it's like, a lie. No. That's not true. No, they're thinking about themselves. And no I think. No one's thinking about you. When we step out of ourselves we not only foster community, but we also grow because we're forced to think about someone other than ourselves, Completely. you know? Completely. Uh, and, you yeah. know, I think you should build it in to your, when you get to a certain maturity level, obviously when you are, it, your 20s is such a powerful time in your life that also sucks It's so, so bad. shitty. It's, it's like the worst. Okay, yeah, you're young, hot, and tight, but like, I would not, I do not want to be in my 20s again. Like, it's just, mis it's miserable. Uh, it's, if if people in their 20s could just understand that your 20s is about learning incubator it, it is an incubator for the rest of your life it is entirely it should be entirely about curiosity mm -hmm. curiosity about the world and about yourself like huh why did that upset me huh why is this so difficult huh why do i continue doing the same cycle over and over again yeah not beating yourself up and being punitive, mm -mm. being curious so that you can learn yourself, right? Yeah. It should be about learning who you are. And then when you get that kind of under your belt-ish or underway, maybe, the next thing I think you could think of is giving back. How do I be of service? Because being of service when you're, tr when you've got your you're like, I'm trying to figure myself out underway. And then you start becoming of service. It opens up a whole nother part of you learning about yourself because then you learn your value system yeah. in a very different way. When Because when you volunteer for something and you are happy to be there all the time, that's a good indicator of what's important to you in life, yeah. right? I volunteer at my kids' schools all the time. I love kids. Yeah, I love being there for kids and listening to what I just delight in the way their brain works. Yeah. And so my volunteerism has been about kids a lot. I'm a Girl Scout troop leader for a long That's time. That's amazing. Because I'm so fascinated at how they view the world. Yeah. And it informs me so much about how I view the world. Yeah. I've learned so much about 
myself from service. So if you're in a if you're in a service that doesn't reciprocate that for you, maybe find a different service. Yeah. Right? Find a different way to spend your time. I something that I was thinking a lot about in early sobriety was like just because it's comfortable, just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's not destructive, right? Like how the things oh, totally. that we know aren't often good for us, right? And so growth is painful. Growth is uncomfortable and scary. I mean, even just being with Tracy, he not one red flag. He really likes baseball. So we'll see how baseball season goes. <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a long season. Oh, yeah. It's long. Um, it's long. He's really nervous about that. His friend's like been married for 10 years. He's like, I'm going to ask my friend how he 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 um, continues his long term relationship during baseball season. Like, it, I really don't want you to feel ignored. Piece of advice for that. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. Yeah. There's a game on Sunday I want to watch yeah. from here to here. Does yeah. that work for you? Yeah. Great. Then I'm watching that game. Which he already did during basketball season, which yeah. is totally fine. Totally. And I'm like, that's all about your hobbies. Yeah. He's in two baseball fantasy leagues. I'm like, babe, I love that you love something. Do I have to love it like you do? No. But thank God you have a hobby because everyone needs a hobby. A hobby is a spiritual discipline. We all need hobbies. You know, the oak and the elm grow not in each other's shadow. When you are with somebody, you need to have your own life. You be the oak, let him be the elm and you grow right next to each other. Tall, tall, tall. I love that. As and our root systems you... will be integrated. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you let him have, you know, the half the stuff Bert does, I have no interest in doing. <laughs> I am never going to play disc golf. Yeah. I don't, don't give a shit about g- disc golf. He loves it. Have fun. Yeah. I'll see you when it's over. Well, so you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll see you when you're done throwing yeah. your Frisbee and your short shorts. Oh, my have God. Fun. God bless it. But I mean, it's it's. <sighs> It feels unfamiliar how kind and supportive supportive and safe I feel in that relationship. That's amazing. And you know what happens? This I just thought about the oak and the elm. If he maintains everything with baseball, that is a guarantee you're not enmeshed. Yeah. Enmeshment, especially for people maybe with an addictive background, enmeshment is a big problem. Yeah, and that's uh, historically what I do. And you know? that enmeshment, is where you think your safety Mm-mm. lies. And it's a lie Mm-mm. because it's just so unhealthy to be a mesh. Yeah. So celebrate his oneness. Yeah. I know Bert would love me to be entwined in everything he does. Yeah. I just read this great book. We podcasted about it yeah. about codependency. Oh, and, I need that book. And what I learned about it is I am not codependent, <laughs> but I am married to someone who Ooh. would love it. Yeah. If I was the most codependent person and I, I'm just constantly like, I need nope, to read that book. Nope. It was really good. I'm it was codependent from, as fuck. Uh, it, I'll give you the book. It's right here. Co-crazy? Co-crazy. Okay, yeah, I cannot She's wait to read it. She's a therapist and yeah. she was an addict and is in recovery and was massively codependent. Well, that's what this book. it made my addiction flare up, right? It was Is like I was in such a codependent relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was feeding his addiction while also being like, well, my addiction isn't as bad as his addiction. Totally. While doing his laundry and walking his dog and feeding so, him and paying for him. So and paying for his it was, it was, it, it's painful to think about that. Yeah. Like I lost my personhood. Yeah. And what I love about my current relationship is that not only does Tracy celebrate my personhood, like, that that guy gasses me up like crazy, but not in like a like blown out ego way, but in like he sees me. Yeah. And also I see him. Right. You know, and I see like he's on the build. He's on the come up. And it's not necessarily like my my parents have a, a Polish housekeeper that they've had for 30 years and she's an 85 year old Polish woman. Oh, my God. And she's always like, you be merry rich. You need the rich man. And it's like, <laughs> like 
like I hear you, <laughs> but also it's like that's not in this life. I need someone who I could survive a, a climate apocalypse with. Completely, you know, like yes. that. I want that. I want a partner. Uh huh. And money is always money. You know, and everyone worries about money. Yep. Regardless if they have a fuck ton or none at all. Yeah. And, and it's, it seems like people who have less worry less than the people who have a fuck ton because there is that scarcity mindset because then you have to facilitate that huge life that you have. I think it depends on how you set it up. Yeah. But yeah, I don't have that. We don't have that. Yeah. Uh, but we set up our life so we wouldn't have to have that. Yeah. yeah. We set it up where we were like, we are living within our means. Yeah. No matter what that means, but that's, it will be within our means. But we period. need more of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, a lot of people yeah. don't think that way. Mm -mm. They get mm -mm. a little dime and they go, oh, I must spend a quarter. And yeah. you're like, no, nah, you should spend a nickel. Yeah. And then you got five extra. Yeah. But with the the partner, what I'll say, because I have found my partner, yeah. clearly, we are happily married. When we were dating, and when I realized he was right for me, was I thought we played Scrabble a lot. Mm -hmm. And so if the world ends, we still have a Scrabble game. Yeah. Right? If we have no power, if there is that apocalypse, yeah. can you do that little thing and be okay? Yeah. So we can. And throughout time, we have little examples of the little Scrabble. moments of that Scrabble game coming back where we have so much fun. Now we don't play Scrabble. We play Rummy Cube. What's that? Oh, it's the best. It's Rummy, but in tile form. Ooh. And it's so fun. <laughs> so we can play Rummy Cube without anybody else. And we can play it for hours. Yeah. And then you go, that's who you want to spend your life with. Yeah. Because as you get older, guess what you're going to be doing? Rummy playing cube. fucking cards in an old home yeah. like rocking on a rocking chair and doing nothing yeah so if you can do that in the beginning and you grow through and you keep checking back into that scrabble game uh, can we are we still playing scrabble can we still play scrabble yeah then you know you're with the right person the all that other stuff's gonna go away i don't look like i did when we got together mm. i've aged appropriately i look like a 52 year old woman I don't Thank have God. any, I, which is why what I are we want. not allowed to age? Oh, no, no. My I know, point that's my, is my screed for everybody. Oh, oh I, I completely agree with mm. you. But my point is it's still working. And he, he didn't look like he looked like he weighed 185 pounds when we started dating. He's a little bit more than that now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm still, we're still good because that Scrabble game is what it's all built on. Yeah. So as you go through life, if you are with this guy and you can just do nothing, put the puzzle together. Yeah. It, uh, if you can buy a piece of furniture from Ikea and assemble it together without killing each other. <laughs> now, Bert and I can't do that. Yeah. He just bosses me and he bosses me for the wrong thing. And then it gets me so mad. And I'm like, just go in the other room. Yeah. You don't know how to build anything. I've built houses. Leave me alone. But yeah. the Scrabble is it for me. So if you find that, that for your own relationship. Oh, we literally just like snuggle with our faces this far from each other. We don't even do anything. We're just like literally. But that's not the same. Is that chemistry and like yes. lust? Yes. That changes over time. Okay. And when kids come in, that changes a lot. Oh, I bet. Because mom don't have time for that shit. Yeah. And dad still wants it. And there's a push and pull there. It's the Scrabble game. So hmm. you need to find what that is and and 
if you can find that, I think you really know you're in the right place. Yeah. And let him have his baseball and you have your whatever. Yeah. And you come together and you go out and you don't worry about it and you're not threatened by the baseball. Yeah. So as long as he sets it up where it's communicated, hey, this is how this season works. I watch ball games on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. Yeah. That's the way it's going to work. Are you cool with that? If not, let's negotiate. Yeah. How we can be cool with that and don't yeah. be threatened by that because that meshment piece sometimes gets threatened, I think, when yeah. there's something that's separate from you. Yeah. And it's it's not. If it was there before you showed up. Yeah. Why would you ask him to leave it? Not no, that and you I don't are. Want to, yeah. No, but I mean for other people listening, yeah. you would never let him ask anybody to leave something like that. No. There's nothing wrong with somebody watching football, baseball, soccer. Yeah. Let them have it. Yeah. Now I'm like wondering what our what our our scrabble is. It's we've a curious thing. We've been cooking together. Bert and I cook together all yeah. the time. We still cook together. That's totally it. Yeah, I, I think something that's been really sort of um, transformative is sort of like, you know, of course, there's the chemistry, right? Uh -huh. But what has been sort of altering is the foundation of values, uh -huh. like shared values, like the big things of like, do you both want children? How do you view politics? How do you view religion? How do you view money? Like the sort of like big bedrocks that in so many ways we are very different mm -hmm. but compatible right mm -hmm. like he'd be the one doing the furniture assembly and follow he like he'll read all the directions and follow them yeah. i hate reading the directions and i Leanne. will not and yeah you're yeah yes. and and we're different but it we like it feels like we fill each other's lacks or uh -huh. like we we lift each other up yeah it's the compatibility piece yeah it doesn't have to line up and right? i think that that's the misconception it is yeah you're right that it's like we i'm have to the exact same birds catholic yeah. i can't get behind that institution yeah catholicism is i can't do it i'm yeah. sorry there's too many bad things that happen in that religion that yeah. people don't deal with can't do it but i respect that that is what he chooses to connect to spiritually because ultimately it makes him more spiritual as a human being yeah and i'm a spiritual human being and how we skin that cat doesn't matter and mm -hmm. we're not requiring that one do the other like he doesn't need to be a baptist i'm actually not a baptist anymore yeah. i don't know what i am yeah but spiritual i am very spiritual i'm in some ways more spiritual than bird is yeah. because i don't have anxiety about things that he does that i believe are because i lean on a faith that there's something bigger than me yeah and he does has it. a punitive god he has uh, he has yeah. a little bit <laughs> i don't know i feel like all the ex-catholics in, in my life have a lot of shame and a lot of religious trauma there's a lot through. of shame and he i don't know if he has a lot of shame but he doesn't really believe that he's cared for completely mm. uh and i do and mine's i just do more faith i just believe that i am exactly where i'm supposed to be i'm going exactly where i'm supposed to be and when bad things happen they happen because either I wasn't listening mm. to my higher power or this bad thing is here to give me something yeah. that I need. That there's growth through this. A hundred percent. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. I and mean, I don't think Bert believes that. Yeah. <laughs> no. I quite believe that. He's also a lot more controlling mm -hmm. in his life. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not as controlling. I don't need to be in control of everything. And he has more of that. I don't think he needs to be in control of everything, but he has definitely more than I do. Yeah. Well, again, this comes back to how we handle difference, right? Like this idea that we're like legislating anti-trans bills because someone is different or identifies in a different way right. than we do. And and the control aspect of stop that thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, like there's people on the street who need help who we can't help because of the ways in which we're like, well, they're living their best life, you know, and, and yeah. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily what is being stated. But I think like the ways in which we misinterpret civil liberties and who is thriving and who is not. Yes. yes. 
you know? Yes, like, I agree with that. Misinterpreting I, civil liberties is a big one. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, I'm thankful for the ways in which we are different. Yes. I'm thankful for the ways in which I'm different from everyone I've ever met. Same. And that it's an opportunity for me to reflect on how I feel and how I can change mm -hmm. and how I can grow. And you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine because <laughs> guess what? When you do that, it inspires other people to do the same. I mean, I think that's all I'm trying to do. Is that like is what you're trying to do. Change in public. Here's what I have to say about you. You ready? Okay. I love your Instagram. Thank because you. your Instagram is so happy. <laughs> and except for when the cat brought in the baby rabbit. Oh, my God. That was not very happy. Dude, I got a baby rabbit tattoo and it got infected. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, blame it on the cat. I know it's all wrapped up right now because I wanted to, like, fault. not mention it, but. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, it's okay. It's a, Tattoos get infected. My 30, I have, like, 30 tattoos and I guess this one got infected. Ruh -ruh. But, it, again, it's the redemption narrative, you know? The bunny got out. But anyways, keep going. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I love your Instagram because I see that you are transforming in front of our eyes, right? Mm -hmm. I see so much joy when, and maybe I'm projecting what I know of you, mm -hmm. but that's what I see. When I watch your Instagram, it's an expression of... Uh, Joie de vivre. Right? <laughs> Is that how you say that? A joy for life. Yeah. Uh, uh, a zest for living. Um, I see happiness. Mm -hmm. And that makes me so happy. Especially knowing what this last, how many months? 15? 15, yeah. The last 15 months have been for you. They have not been easy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fake it till you make it mm. has some truth to it. Mm -hmm. So even when you're feeling blue... I look on your Instagram and I don't see it. Yeah. And I think that you're manifesting pure joy by presenting pure joy to the world. Mm. Even when you're not feeling it every day. No one feels it every day. Mm -mm. I don't feel it every day either. Mm. But I do try to present myself as a happy person because I am a yeah. happy person. Yeah. Even if I'm having a rough day, overall, I'm a joyful, happy, fulfilled, positive believer in life and in human beings. Me too. And you are. And I see that. I see that. Thank you. So in all that you've done this year, I'm so proud. I say it every time you come in, but I am so proud of you because you. it's been like a blossoming. Thank you. To watch you over this last year. I mean, you were there like right before and then right, you know, you've, you've witnessed it. I've and watched I, the whole blossoming. Yeah. It's been beautiful. Thank you. So whatever you do, is right. Whatever you're doing, it's right. Thank you. It's right. Um, and are you still doing Artist Way workshops? Yes, I am. My next one's in June. June in through June? August. So guess who's sponsoring a scholarship? Ah! We will again. Thank you. And I know my friend Kelly Brown did it, right? Oh, yeah. How awesome is she? She's so great. She's so great. And then she wrote her book. I know. Yeah. She loved your workshop. She loved Thank it. You. We should have the two of you on. That would be amazing. We should do that. I'm super down. I'd love I'd we love to totally give her a that. hug in the flesh. Let's do it before your thing starts in June. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm around. She's so awesome. And she's I'm so ass. proud of her. How many books has she written now? A bunch. She's trying to get me to write a book with her. And I'm like, girl, I don't have time to write my name on a piece of paper. <laughs> I can't write a book. I don't have time. She's like, here's the outline and idea. And I'm like, oh, my God. What a great idea. I wish. I just don't have time right <laughs> it's now. It's coming for you. It will. And you know, if it doesn't, uh, yeah. that's okay too. I am so fulfilled in what I'm doing. Well, I feel I mean, highly creative. This is a creative discipline as well. Completely. Like, it's like improv. Like I, I enjoy podcasting so much. It feels like 
a manifestation of my entire skill set. You know, it's just like yeah. sitting, being present, improvising. Like, you know, it's not like, I mean, it is performative because there's a camera and there's a mic. But, yeah. But it's, you know, I think there's something beautiful about living authentically. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you saying that I project joyful energy because I'm not happy all the time. You know, like I'd love to be at a 10. I'm an addict. I'd love to be at a 10 all the fucking time. <laughs> right. Like the other, like I like to sort of talk to my higher power in the car. It's like when I feel the most melodramatic and no one can hear me. And, <laughs> and it was like raining and I was like, I just want to feel good all the time. <laughs> and then I heard myself and I was like, I am such an addict, you know, and I'm really trying to live in the four, five, six, but that doesn't mean that I can't feel joy and joy is something different like joy and happiness go hand in hand but joy is you know being present and noticing the small things and being kind to people and feeling grateful like gratitude is such a foundation of everything that I do and you know when I was trapped in that car for three days like that was the worst thing that could have happened to me. Right. But I feel such gratitude for that because it took that for me to look at myself clearly and stop lying to myself. That's right. And so it's like, yeah, that's the worst thing that ever happened to me. And and, and being able to say that's the worst thing that ha- like much worse things happen to people, you know, totally. but also it was really, really traumatic. Yeah. And I'm only now processing it and be like, maybe I need to go back to therapy and really process that shit because like what it kicked up and when I was writing through it, I was like, that was bad. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of times you protect yourself from that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You protect yourself from really seeing stuff. Uh, my friend Kathy Fromkin gave me a book that she read in college and that book kicked my actual ass. Really? Because at it, it described abuse, uh. right? And I had never thought of anything in my childhood as being abuse. And there were instances in that book that were, exactly experiences Ooh. I had. Yeah. And then I had to label myself a process victim of abuse. Yeah. And I was like, reject. I reject that. I totally reject that. I do not accept that. Mm-hmm. I am not a victim of anything. Yeah. And then when I read that book, I had to just process those feelings out of yeah. accepting that I had made okay a lot of the things that in that book said are not okay. Yeah. So when you look back and kind of dig it up, it can be bigger than when it actually happened mm-hmm. to you because when it's happening, it is trauma and you're trying to cope through it. Mm-hmm. And the way humans cope through things is to minimize them. Well, you, right? you store it in your hippocampus where all your traumatized me- memories go. Right. And it stays there. Right. And it's hot to touch and you don't want to touch it, which yeah. is why like when I was doing EMDR, which is like through bi- bilateral stimulation, you're able to reaccess those memories and move them into the frontal lobe and reprocess them. Right. Which is why That's cool. movement is so important because you can do that for yourself kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, like if you had read that and moved through those feelings and gone on a walk, you would have cried you would have processed and been like I was just a child like I didn't deserve that it's not okay you know like I think about you like spending your your month in the closet crying every day you know like that we have to move through those emotions Mm -hmm. that the more that we deny the bigger they become Mm -hmm. you know and it is painful like I don't I'm not coming from a place of vengeance I'm not coming from a place I like I don't wish any of my past boyfriends will ill but it's like, how do I acknowledge what happened? Mm-hmm. And 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 part of keeping what it ha- like part of my codependency was protecting him at all costs. Right. Right. To the point of my own destruction. You need to read that book. Yeah. And so it's like it to coming to terms with that and being like, I can't protect him anymore because he never worried about protecting me. And he didn't protect you. Yes. Not at all. No. And so it's one of those things where it's like, of course, I have a louder voice because I have proximity to a platform. 
But I share this because I think there's so many of us who are caught in codependent relationships with addicts, without addicts, whatever, where we will put the needs of someone else before us to the point of our own destruction completely and and if you're thinking about somebody else more than you're thinking about what you have and what mm -hmm. you got going on there's a big red flag yeah and i think that we mistake that for love yes and it is mistaken for mm -hmm. love when it is not no it's, it's illness yes it is it's illness and you know as you were mm -hmm. talking i thought this resentment is one of your best friends mm. because when you start feeling resentment it's a it's an opportunity to become curious. Uh-huh. That is a big like look at me. And when you can really look at what is making you feel resentful, you can figure out how to process through it. Well, that's all 12 step stuff. You're is you're, it? you're supposed to look at your resentments. What does it affect and what is your part in it? Right. And what is your part in it? That is really key. I I've never been in the 12 steps, so yeah. I didn't know that's part of it, yeah. but but I know when I was feeling resentment, when I was trying to become a more whole person, mm -hmm. I would look at that resentment and go, okay, but what was the lesson in it? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I'm what mad. What did you learn? I'm mad at this person because they did that and that's legitimate. Mm -hmm. But why am I holding on to it? There must be a lesson in it. Yeah. So what's the lesson? Mm -hmm. And then if you can identify the lesson or if you can go, there's no lesson, then you can let it go. You can forgive yeah. whatever that is that ties you to that resentment resentment keeps you from opening up to opportunities keeps you drinking too it keeps you it keeps you stuck mm -hmm. it keeps you unhappy mm -hmm. and it it keeps you from moving forward as a human being mm -hmm. so resentment is one of my favorite resentment envy jealousy yeah i love them if i start feeling any of those i go oh well, what's Julie, happening? Yeah. Well, Julie, uh, Julie Cameron would say anger and jealousy are maps, right? Oh, like jealousy. It's like, oh, that girl did a one woman show. Oh, fuck that bitch. Wait, that's me having a scarcity mindset, thinking that only one person can do it. Totally. Instead being like, oh, I feel jealousy because that's what I would like to do. They're showing me what is possible. Yeah. There's my path. Mm hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's my path. Yeah. Curiosity is your best friend. Absolutely. It's your best friend. Well, we have to wrap up. <laughs> I know. We can talk, talk for forever. 16 hours. But um, I'm so glad you. to see you. I it's miss been too you. Long. I know. I know. Why has it been so long? We've both been busy. So busy. I know. But I love you. And I, I so cherish any opportunity to sit here and talk to you because I walk away different. And, and and I've said this before, but every time we have a conversation, you know, in the moment I have the conversation and it alters my perception and then I'll listen to it again and I'll be like, wow, like I hear it in a different way. Yeah. Totally. And I think that you have been such an instrumental mentor throughout the sobriety process Aww. because you've given me a container and a place to, to sort of chew through what I'm going through. And you know, it, it, it is an opportunity to show how I'm changing out loud. And and of course, like so many people f through Artist Way find me through you. And that is its own serendipitous things, because I asked people last week how they found me. And, and a lot of people are like, it's magic. I'd never listened to the podcast before, you know, and no way. Yeah. And so I, I just I feel so much gratitude and thank you because. A lot of people who do artist wear from our, our wife of the party listeners and I love that. and then they become a part of my community and I become friends with them and, and I get to watch them change because not only is it a tool to unblock creativity, but like it facilitates crazy change. Like mm -hmm. it's a change your life tool. It's like if you're feeling stuck, like I have one person 
who got laid off from Google and now she's taking a one way trip to France, you know, and that wouldn't have happened if she didn't do artist way. And then, you know, other people, it's smaller. It's like different haircuts, you know, but that each change is important. And you can come back to this book. You can come back to this community over and over again and find support and also recognize the ways in which you're being self-deceptive address your jealousy, address your anger, you know, like it's just such a beautiful tool. And there's like, part of me was like, I'm so burnt out on it. (laughs) You know, I'm like, oh, but I think that there's, there's a larger purpose for me in doing it because I like facilitating community. I love the text itself. I'm a better person when I'm engaged in it. Mm -hmm. And also it's just been, it's been instrumental in terms of how I've changed Mm -hmm. through this year. Well, it's your service as part of your service. Yeah. And it's a practice. Yeah. You know, everyone needs a practice. Mm-hmm. And if this is the practice you chose mm-hmm. and it's changing people's lives in the way you've described. Yeah, one the, the one who founded you through wife from me through Wife of the Party, she was like, I'm writing again, I'm reading again, I'm painting again, and I quit weed. <gasps> yeah. And it's like I, I mean, and then that's not what I preach in there, you know? No, like, no, yeah. But that's but, what was her truth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I I support whatever anyone needs to do in that space. Yeah. And there there are there are containers in which we can make changes that we never dreamed were possible. Mm-hmm. And that is my service. You that know? is your and service. I, I'm thankful. I I cannot believe that is my service. Like I'm like what a gift. And to be open to where this leads you. Yeah. For life. Yeah. What's the what's the curiosity there? How much have you learned from the people you're helping? Oh, nonstop all the time. Yeah. Like. It's it's not only like teaching me how to be a better teacher and facilitator, but also, you know, showing me how to change in public, showing me how to grow out loud, creating spaces where people can be vulnerable, how to hold space for someone, how to respond to difficulty. Like it's just such a beautiful container. And we're about to finish next week. And it's just it's it's a it's I can't believe that it's my life. And that is like the theme of now is like because I have this sober life, I am in disbelief that it's mine. And, and it's a good disbelief. It's mm-hmm. like a, like, this is beyond what Maybe I could have It's I'm in awe and yeah. gratitude. Yeah. Awe is better than disbelief. Believe yeah. it. I do. I do believe, believe it. Believe it. Because I'm in awe. you own it. Thank you. It's yours. You earned it. And nobody can take it away from you but you. Yeah. It's yours. Well, and, 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 you know, part of me was like, well, someone could. And it's like, that's my no. codependency, right? Nobody like, That's can. why I need co-crazy because I I can be co-crazy. Well, girl, I give it to you now. Thank you. So I you need it. To, and I love you to pieces. I'm so proud of I you. I love you too. So I'm so proud, proud of you. you. Like this what is, a, well, I mean. Y- y'all are killing it. Like truly. It's just like, it's been such a privilege to watch everything grow in the way that it has. And Julia Cameron talks a lot about like fame as like a spiritual malady and that like I think especially in our culture there's a lot of people who are like I want to be famous and when people say that to me I'm like what personality disorder do you have (laughs) Um, and and I think what I really admire about Bert and what you both do is you know that fame is a side effect of pursuing a discipline and I think that we don't see enough of that of like the things will grow when you're doing your divine purpose and fame is not the penultimate goal people having eyes on you isn't going to fill the god-shaped hole in your heart that is true you know what fills the hole in my heart and i Hmm. think birds too is creativity yeah is being creative and being able to share that creativity with other people that's and it shows we feel it his shared experience on stage means more to him than the rest of it that sense of community yeah for him is he's he is like 
the drum major of the band. Yeah. Instead of I am this, you are that. I think when he gets on stage, he feels like everyone in that arena is part of his band. Uh, and that so beautiful. is one of the reasons I love him and have always loved him is because fame is, you're exactly right, it's a is, side effect. Is, a, is a positive side effect. We would be assholes if we didn't say we knew that was coming. Yeah. As But really in the beginning, it was about... Um, being able to make a living yeah. at expressing yourself artistically. Which is a huge feat. That was the goal. Yeah. Just make a living at it. Yeah. And we, we, Bert was able to transcend that goal. Mm -hmm. But the goal was not like we need to Bert to be a household name, which he's not. But it what the goal actually wasn't even what we have today. Yeah. The goal was let's be able to support ourselves and our family being creative, artistic people. Mm -hmm. That's that was the goal. And so that's still the goal. Well, it shows. That's right? why Razzle Dazzle, his fifth special, is better than the one before, which was better than the one before, because mm -hmm. it's always in search of that excellent creativity. It's that's the process. The, goal. It's not, the product yeah. is, a, is a, a side effect of the process. When you're mm -hmm. engaged in the process, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a beginning and there's always going to be an end. And you have to keep moving mm -hmm. e at every single point. Yeah, you progress. And, and and I think, you know, we're a very product-oriented society. It's like you have the thing and you, that makes you famous. And I think, again, we can feel the way in which that is the goal, that the process is creating a better product. Yeah. But the product isn't the ultimate end goal. The end goal is continuing the process. creating. Mm -hmm. The goal is the process. Yeah. Is to continually be evolving mm -hmm. and growing and becoming better at your craft. I love that. That's the pro that is the goal. It's the process. Yes, you're right. I think if more people had the process as the goal, mm -hmm. as their goal, instead of the end result, they'd be more fulfilled. It's not even about what you achieve. Mm -hmm. It's about if you focus on the journey, the, the journey is the fulfillment. Yeah. So the journey ends when you die. Well, and not when you say, well, that's my last show. Yeah. The you process know? is how you spend your days. The product uh -huh. is a finite part of your days. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, we start a whole new subject matter. <laughs> We're trying to stop. Next but, time um, I talk about the process. I know the process <laughs> is the process. Okay. <laughs> so how do people find you? Great. Um, you can find me at my website, paulinapinski.com. You can sign up for my courses straight on my website. So if you're you're gung-ho, June through August, we're going to do Artist Way. There are payment plans through there. We're going to have a Wife of the Party scholarship. You can apply for it there. I'm also offering a Writing the Body workshop through the Dallas Writers Workshop um, in May. Um, so that would be a straight writing workshop, a four-week course where we, stop, we focus on the body and how it's rendered on the page through three themes. Um, sexuality, pain, and hunger. Um, and you can write a piece in there and get workshopped. And um, and we'll sponsor that too. Really? Yeah, we'll do a scholarship for that oh, too. Why okay. not? Okay, great. We're gonna have a writing the body workshop scholarship. So you're gonna have to sign up for that. And um, I'm also available for independent writing coaching. You can do a month long mentorship or a three month long mentorship. And you can find me on Instagram at mizpiggy111. So question. Tell me. Do you help kids write college essays? I do. Okay. That's... That was like my first job. That was like... Was it really? My first job out of college was um, helping Chinese students write college applications to get into American universities. I can get any kid into any college, pretty well, much. I wouldn't I wouldn't throw that gauntlet after all the scandals, but... <laughs> well, your kid has to write it. Well, I'd say you're really good. I'm really good at college applications. Yes. That's like where I cut my teeth as a writing coach. 
Amazing. Yeah. So they can find you at the same website. Polynapinski.com. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good. good. Yeah. Because you know, the summer, every summer is yeah, when that shit yeah. starts happening. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Because I, um, I got myself into Columbia twice. I got my brother into law school. And, and when I say that, I mean, I helped guide his essay and I edited it for him. I do not write it for you. It's very much writing coaching where we brainstorm ideas. You write the idea. I work on, you know, sort of content with you. I do the grammar, all that stuff. Um, but I've helped people get into Duke, Middlebury, uh, USC, uh, where else? Columbia, you know, like I, I, uh, I'm very good at that. The Chinese trained me um, <laughs> how to help your child get into Columbia. Amazing. <laughs> It's a great skill to have. I'm like, part of me is like, I promise I'm not writing it for you. I refuse to write it for you. Yeah. Um, well, that would be so out of integrity. No, that's so not what I do. It's not what you do. No. no. No, but I mean, people hire coaches to help them write college essays Dude. all the time. So, And I'm a I'm a deal compared to those people. I, I know. I'm sure you are. My gynecologist told me that she was um, paying her college person $11,000. What? Yeah. So for hire what? me. what? For the essay or for the whole thing? The I think the whole thing, but I think it's probably still just the essay. It's still a lot. It's so much. I'm a, I'm a steal and I will do a better job. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's so good to see I you. I love you so much. Yeah, thank so you for I'll organize me. me, you, and Kelly soon. Yeah. I would love that soon. I would love that yeah. as well. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You got a brand new team. I think that we should.